Welcome to the East-West Psychology Podcast, a forum for the exploration of psyche and spirit. Join our hosts, Jonathan Kay and Stefan Julich, and their guests as they delve into the intersection of psychology, philosophy, world wisdom traditions, the arts, and more. This is the first part in a series of episodes exploring the historical roots of California Institute of Integral Studies and its foundations in integral yoga as brought to California in the 50s by Haridas Chaudhry. In this episode, we speak with Bhaman Shirazi, who recounts the early history of Haridas Chaudhry coming to the West and the academic and cultural conditions which led to what became CIIS. Bauman speaks about his dissertation completed in EWP in the 1980s, which develops upon Haridas Chaudhry's vision of integral psychology asking what is the role of personality in spiritual development. We also discuss how the East-West Psychology Department was formed to situate the intersectionality of integral yoga, spirituality, and transpersonal psychology. Welcome to the East-West Psychology Podcast. I'm Jonathan Kay here with co-host Stefan Julich, and we are honored to be joined by uh, Bauman Shirazi here with us. Welcome, Bauman. Yes, thank you so much. Nice to be with you. Great to have you. Um, we're going to spend the next uh, hour um, getting into talking about uh, your involvement with Integral Yoga, with the work of Haridas Chowdhury, with CIIS, um, and and more. And so, why don't we just why don't we just start a little bit um, with you just telling us a little bit about how you came into. Uh, to being a part of the CIS uh, community and um, working with the uh, work of Haridas Chowdhury and uh, and your involvement in the school as an as a adjunct professor, as a professor? Yes, sure. Um, well, I came to the Institute in 1983 to uh, do my PhD in the East-West Psychology program. And uh, I have been, I guess, affiliated with the Institute ever since. It's been a long time. And uh, so I joined the Institute sort of halfway through its uh, history. And at the time that I came in, some of the older professors were still uh, there at CIIS that are now uh, no longer you know, alive. So I got to meet them. And I got to meet uh, Bina Chaudhary, who was the wife of the founder or co-founder of the Institute as well. And so I got to hear a lot of stories about, um, you know, uh, the history of the Institute firsthand, you know, from, from these various folks. Um, after I got there, I mean, the way I got to CIS was kind of, you know, interesting because I was looking, I was interested in Buddhism and I was, I did my uh, master's and uh, bachelor's degrees in more traditional uh, psychology and then I was looking for Buddhism, and I was looking, uh, I was over at UC Berkeley, I remember, and they told me that somebody there might be interested, and I was exploring that, and they told me, not really, nobody here really is into that, but here, you know, there's a catalog of this institute in San Francisco, you might be interested in checking it out. So anyway, I remember I looked it up, I opened it actually randomly to this uh, page with the picture of a Buddhist teacher 
called Rina Sirkar, who's passed away now, but has been at the Institute near, nearly 40 years, had been. Had been. And uh, I immediately got a sense that I need to go there, that I need to be part of this for some reason. And I, I got in, I got interviewed with uh, John Wellwood, who was actually at CIS at the time for a couple of years. He was the director of the East West Psychology Program, and I got in. And uh, so soon after, you know, I started to really feel at home. It was a much smaller institute than it is today, probably only several hundred, maybe two, three hundred students at that time. I don't remember the exact uh, numbers. Um, so everybody knew each other and there was just an intimate environment. And I not only felt at home, but there was a, a feeling deep inside my heart that I have a connection with this institute that my future is somehow, you know, destined to be connected. So anyway, I, I, I started studying Buddhism, which is uh, the Theravada branch of Buddhism. Uh, Rina Sarkar was from Burma and she was from a very strong lineage. And uh, I uh, even got so closely involved with her that I participated in a, a, a monastery that she was founding at the time. And I lived there part time for a number of years. And so that was it. Basically, I had a lot of um, Buddhist uh, interest and background at that point. But uh, toward the end of my uh, stay at the monastery, which was something that I, you know, I never permanently stayed there. I just went back and forth and I was part of the staff. And uh, I had a call from Bina Chaudhary out of the blue, and she told me that she wanted to uh, put together a library of uh, Haridas Chaudhary's remaining books. His original books were donated to the Institute as the seed library for the Institute Library, which you know is the library today. And uh, so I was very happy to do that. I started working with her. And, uh, you know, as I used to go back and forth to her house to work, do some of the work that I did for her, for the Culture Integration Fellowship, she was the founder of the Culture Integration Fellowship, and I'll tell you more about it later, which they co-founded as soon as they came to the, to the United States. Uh, as I was working there, she would occasionally come and give me a paper here and there, and uh, uh, introduced me to Haridas Chari or tell stories about certain things. And one of these occasions, she gave me this paper, which was a type manuscript, a fairly uh, good size, maybe 20, 30 pages. And uh, it was in, called Integral Psychology. And I picked this up. At that point, I had already um, had a proposal approved to do some kind of a research within the context of Buddhism, and I was ready to go. And uh, I guess this paper was, you know, what changed my destiny altogether. I remember going home. Uh, I read that paper or looked at it at least um, in some detail. And uh, I don't remember now, but like two or three days later, I had this whole new idea for a dissertation in integral psychology. And I came back to Bina and said, you know, I think I'm really interested in this. And uh, so she turned me on to a professor of, Paul Herman, who was the founder of the first institute program of integral counseling psychology, and he ended up being my chair later. So that was sort of basically my uh, change of destiny, I guess, from from Buddhism to uh, 
And uh, on the inside, I would say subjectively, what was really important for me was, you know, Buddhism was a, a great response to the sense of alienation that I'd felt most of my life uh, as a teenager later on. And uh, But there was just something I was missing, which um, I think integral uh, yoga and psychology offered, which was really um, a turning point. So um, I won't go into that right now, but I just wanted to finish up by quickly saying that uh, uh, once I wrote my dissertation, uh, I guess I presented at one of the uh, uh, integral yoga conferences in the United States. I remember going there with Bina Chaudhary to encourage me to participate. And a few people took notice of my topic, uh, which was self uh, in integral psychology. And uh, I was told that after Chaudhary had passed away in 1975, his work was unfinished in this area. So I kind of picked up on that. And um, so I, just at that time, during that conference, the first uh, group of people who had decided to do an international conference on integral psychology, happened to be there, and they invited me to go to India. And so um, I did the following year, and uh, that was really the profound moment after having studied more or less intellectually and scholarly, I guess, uh, the integral tradition. I got to experience the energy of the actual uh, environment there in Pondicherry in Oroville, and I got to meet a number of people. And so I went uh, back many, many times, every couple of years, or two to three years, and, and uh, we started a number of conferences on, on integral psychology, which is, I was part of, and so on. And so uh, around the same time when I graduated, uh, I was uh, basically asked to um, work at the Institute, and I started working in the East-West Psychology Program, and uh, at the time, the Institute was going through a lot of changes, and um, without me applying for any new jobs, I got sort of <laughs> shuffled into new positions many times. So um, all these years, I can say I never applied for a job at the Institute. It just kind of rolled with what was going on and what I was in the middle of and what I could do. So I ended up having an administrative role for a number of years um, in, uh, in the School of Consciousness and Transformation, which, which was created at some point. <clears throat> and I also started teaching as an adjunct faculty at the Institute and elsewhere. So uh, before I basically decided to basically call it call it uh, enough, I guess, a couple of years ago and uh, uh, semi-retire. I, I did a sort of a parallel work in the administration as an adjunct faculty at, at the Institute. So yeah, that's, I guess, short in a, in a sense. It's not that short either, but uh, so yeah, I've seen a lot of the, uh, you know, faculty that have come and gone and a lot of changes at the Institute. So it's it's been a, a very profound experience for me and very, very much still alive, you know, for me. Beautiful. Thanks so much. That was a, a spanned, spanned decades of your life. It's, it's beautiful to see the whole development of this, of this field and your involvement in it. Um, would you like to talk a little bit more about 
integral yoga coming through with Haridas Chaudhary into the West and sort of situate what Haridas Chaudhary did um, in the West, as part of his aims and his goals, um, a little bit more specifically. And then I'd also like to ask just more specifically um, about how your dissertation developed some of the ideas that he was working on, um, like the idea of the self. Yeah, sure. Um, let me let me see. Um, uh, well, Hyardas Chaudhary was um, was born in 1913, uh, May 13, 1913, exactly, in uh, what was called West Bengal at the time. And um, according to some of the recordings that we have left, I, I never actually, unfortunately, never met him in in person because he had passed away a few years before I got to the institute. Um, but we have a lot of tapes from him, a lot of uh, lectures and, and small interviews. And uh, he, he mentions that at the age of 13 or 14, that's how he put it, he had a profound experience um, of uh, something of a um, si silencing of the mind, uh, in which, I mean, he was probably like 14 years old only, but um, he had this experience where all his questions went away and his mind became totally silenced. And that was the beginning of his, uh, his, his spiritual quests, rather profoundly, I would say. By the way, this happens to be kind of near the time that Aurobindo in 1926 had his uh, major experience of the descent of, uh, of the overmind, also known as the experience of Krishna, so I have a I have a feeling somehow that maybe this was connected that somehow Chaudhary was energetically connected to that profound event which I'm sure had a global impact. It wasn't just a personal subjective experience for sure, Abindo. And so that was the starting point for him. And uh, he started to read about you know different you know spiritual traditions. I think the earlier books were like Raja Yoga and. Other, other books that he could find as a, as a teenager. And he eventually ends up studying philosophy and, um, and he um, at some point gets to know about Sri Aurobindo. Um, at that time, Sri Aurobindo wasn't really well known. Um, he, I mean, his works had just been published. Some of them had been published and um, some people knew his works here and there, but I believe a philosophy professor that he worked with knew of Shorobindo. So he gets involved in in the work of Shorobindo, and um, he really um, feels a resonance with with the work. Um, I know later he started to write to Shorobindo. I had. Uh, um, I, had, I did a lot of work going back and forth and going to the archives there and trying to find out, you know, what happened exactly. But what I found out it, that starting in 1938, for uh, 12 years, every year, he used to go to Pondicherry uh, during his, uh, I guess, vacation break. And uh, so on, he, he talks about it in, a, in an interview himself that on one of the on the first occasion that he went there, he didn't he didn't really connect right right off the bat because he wasn't really a, a bhakti type at that time. He was more of a humanities professor, you know, interested in philosophy and yoga. But 
he wasn't just going to fall for for anything. He always had a sense of independence, you know. And he had already studied Indian yoga and other traditions, so he had his his own opinions about that. But according to his wife and, um, and uh, many stories that I've heard, he basically starts corresponding with Shorabindo as he was uh, doing his dissertation work, uh, which was later published uh, by the Ashram Press as um, the, the philosophy of integralism, a book that was later revised and a couple of chapters were added uh, and it was retitled Shorabindo, the Prophet of Life Divine. So he had these connections with the ashram at the time and uh, you know he um, uh, but he lived in Bengal you know he wasn't in the Aurobindo circle and uh, there was a professor um, uh, Frederick Spiegelberg of Stanford University he was a professor of in, in Indic and Slavic studies at Stanford who had also um, gone to India and visited Shravinda Ashram in late 1940s, I believe in 1948. His project was, he was funded um, to go and, and look at the living spiritual traditions of India. He wanted to see which of these traditions are still alive and what's going on. So he actually went around, did a number of different interviews with some of the key figures like Shivananda and Ramana Maharshi and so on. Uh, but he ends up, you know, they direct him eventually to Shirobinda Ashram, and he had a profound experience, Frederick Spiegelberg, that many people talk about. Uh, uh, he was uh, standing in queue uh, at one of the darshans, and he got a, a, a glimpse. Shirobindo looked into his eyes, according to his own description, and had a profound experience of being seen through to his soul by Shirobindo. And he also talks about a, a profound healing experience that he had. In fact, he, he said that he had nightmares most of his life for some reason, that upon that glance by Shirobindo, it was all over. So this was a profound experience that he had and he comes back and uh, when he was asked to start this um, institute or, or you know, graduate school in San Francisco in the late 1940s, in about 49, by uh, Louis Gainsborough, who was a businessman who was interested in connecting East and West. Uh, he um, immediately thought of uh, asking Shorabindo Ashram people to recommend someone to come, come over from there. And the other person he had in mind was Alan Watts, who, who was an Anglican priest at the time, and he was kind of just ending that phase of his life. And so I've seen letters both to Alan Watts and um, to Chaudhary, uh, invitations for them to come. So Chaudhary gets this letter one day in the mail that says, uh, we would like you to you know, come here and join this, this institute. So that was the beginning of his coming to the United States. Now, there are a lot of stories around how he was chosen to come, but some of the best accounts that I know is that basically, originally, you know, of course, you know, anything you wrote to Shorabindo was read by the people that were around him. And so <clears throat> first there was a conversation to send K.D. Sethna or Amal, Amal Kiran, also known uh, as and uh, he he declined. He wasn't interested in in this mission. So 
<clears throat> somebody recommends Hardust Chaudhary, and, and Chaudhary had communicated in writing with Sharabindo as he was writing his dissertation. So uh, according to Bina, Sharabindo took um, you know, special interest in the work that he was doing, and he was somewhat independent-minded. He didn't really like accept everything Sharabindo had to say. He had challenged him. He had qu questions for him. And, and Bina used to say that Sharabindo patiently answered everything and clarified all kinds of things to his satisfaction, you know. So Sharabindo uh, knew of him, never met with him, because after 1938, Sharabindo never really saw anybody. And it was only through the darshans and just a couple of, you know, people around him that, uh, that, that could see him. So they never had a personal meeting for Sharabindo to know him in that sense. But... His name was brought up, and, and Sharabindo agreed to, to that. And so that was how he was chosen. Uh, so anyway, he had these profound experiences, couple, two or three different experiences, actually, while he was in India. But I, I found an account of a list of his experiences, or his major you know, special experiences. And most of them happened when he was in the United States, actually, in the late 1960s and uh, early 1970s, uh, while he was here and doing the work. So he comes here in 1951, and uh, he joins this group of people at this uh, American Academy of Asian Studies. And one of the famous outlets that they had for the public, it was, it was a graduate school, so they actually had people... Um, studying there, you know, taking courses, but they also had a colloquium series of colloquia on some Fridays. And this is what Michael Murphy would talk about or other people who had been there. Some of the uh, beat movement people used to attend these uh, very important uh, cultural events. This was the early 50s. There were people like Rudolf Schaefer who had the East West Gallery, there was very little of the East known in San Francisco at that time, so this was a kind of a profound introduction to the to the East, to to, to Eastern teachings and and, spirit, and spirituality. So, so usually um, Spiegelberg would be moderating a conversation between Alan Watson and Hardas Chaudhary. So these conversations apparently were really powerful, and and they <laughs> set everybody on fire. Uh, so uh, Alan Watts stayed with that institution for maybe another five or six years. I, I believe in 1957 he started to to go off. There were, there were some issues about uh, becoming accredited, and he wasn't really fond of um, catering to to the you know people that wanted things a certain way. It was more of a free spirit, and uh, so he moved on, became independent, and. Uh, and the institute, actually, that not the institute, but that academy, uh, went on for a few more years. But it started to sort of fall apart, actually. And uh, only hired us Chaudhary and a couple other people were really faithful in keeping it going in in its last few years. You know, so it basically went from 1950 to 1968, technically, when it was closed. And in in the 60s. It was mostly Chaudhary and a couple of the people who um, were basically carrying it, you know, teaching courses and all. But what Chaudhary did as soon as he came to the United States was um, 
he had, you know, Rudolf Schaefer, I mentioned here, was a, a major artist at the time. And um, he had this East-West gallery, and in the back of the gallery, he had a place, and he actually asked Chaudhary, or um, gave him a place of residence temporarily before um, they found their own house and, and lived uh, elsewhere. But during the time that they were there, they started these potlucks on Sundays where people would come and Chaudhary would talk about some topic and people will be having fun. And, and technically, you know, Chaudhary started to have a following, a, a gathering of people on a regular basis. And he immediately thought of um, incorporating this as, as a legal entity called the Cultural Integration Fellowship. The idea was to integrate Eastern and Western cultures and sort of promote a uh, non-sectarian um, spiritual um, universal religion basically you know and <clears throat> it became what is known as cultural integration fellowship over time and in 1956 they moved to the location uh, at Thurden Fulton and it's still going on today by the descendants of Hardas Chaudhary so um, they had these Sunday gatherings, and it went on and still goes on. Uh, and uh, a key number of people from India and many important Western figures were at one point or another part of this, this fellowship or the, uh, part of the conversations there. Uh, we have records of just about every major Indian teacher that came to the United States for first coming to the Chaudhuris and or also including famous musicians. Um, so um, <clears throat> basically, you know, Trottery had the fellowship. It was a place where um, you, it wasn't an academic institution. It was um, basically a place of giving lectures and, and cultural fellowship. And then some of the some of the people who were there were really interested in taking courses with with Chaudhary, and as he taught courses to special to small groups of people, they decided uh, to formalize this as a branch of the fellowship, you know, uh, and started a graduate school. Basically, they got the permission to you know uh, get that going legally, and so. Uh, what happened was the last group of students who were at the academy moved on with him and founded the fellowship. Uh, these are people like Hillary Anderson, who passed away a few years ago, who was the dean of, of CIS for, for a while. So, uh, you know, this branch was basically uh, growing until about late um, 1970s, where they decided to, um, you know, well, in the mid-70s, they decided to go for, you know, WASC accreditation, and eventually they had to separate it from the fellowship, which was a religious in institution. That's one of the requirements of WASC is to separate uh, a school from its original um, um, church affiliation or whatever that might be. This has happened to a number of schools. So... Um, you know, the CIIS becomes uh, an institution and uh, grows and so on. Uh, now, one of the most interesting things about Chaudhary that I learned from uh, Paul Herman was uh, that, you know, in the 50s and 60s, people would come to Chaudhary for spiritual counseling, you know, and Chaudhary was not a, a, a psychologist. He was, you know, he was well uh, 
versed in, you know, things like Jungian psychology and, and the humanistic movement. And he had connections with the transpersonal movement that was growing at the time. But um, he had a, a major insight. You know, he told Paul Herman one day that he sees a peculiar phenomenon, and, and that is that a lot of people come to him for spiritual counseling, but what he senses is that What's going on is really psychological issues that are couched as <laughs> spiritual dilemmas. And uh, so he said that there, you know, that there's a huge connection between psychology and, and spirituality. I was thinking you were, I know that you were, had started talking about um, Chaudhry's insight that spiritual counseling, um, people were coming to him. Uh, for spiritual counseling, and he was noticing that where they were really coming to him for was psychological counseling, and that he he saw that there was an overlap between the two, which which from our perspective today, especially being as affiliated with this school, it seems well that's obvious, isn't it? But it, it maybe it, it wasn't so obvious back then, uh, especially in the West where thinkers such as Jung were actually marginalized uh, from the within the psychological community, because what he was doing was seen as being kind of bordering on mysticism. So I, I'm really fascinated. I mean, this is this whole talk, everything that you just said is completely fascinating to me. And I love hearing it recounted. And the story that I or the stories that I've heard uh, were missing certain pieces. So this was wonderful for me to, to hear how, how things fit together in a way that I didn't know. I, I'm I'm interested, I guess, if this is all right with Jonathan as well, I'd really be interested in hearing maybe a little bit more how Sri Aurobindo's vision of integral as of yoga as psychology uh, uh, fit into the, uh, to the building of the curricula at the school and how, uh, you know, ICP fit into that uh, and how East-West psychology eventually was created and what my, my understanding of it is that it was uh, ICP, East-West Psychology and Asian and Comparative Studies or whatever that was called in the beginning. And East-West is kind of a bridge between these two worlds. But I would, I would maybe like to hear you articulate a little bit more about that. So you probably know uh, uh, that uh, um, the first idea of an integral psychology was, was proposed by uh, Dr. Indra Sen. Um, and uh, this was in the 1940s. Apparently, he goes to Sharabinda one day and he says he, that he sees a lot of uh, psychology in his work, in his teachings. And Sharabinda says, of course, you know, yoga is nothing but practical psychology, famous, uh, uh, you know, saying by, by him. And uh, Indra Sen was, was a depth psychologist. He was trained in that tradition. He had actually met Jung when Jung was in India. And, uh, you know, so he was trying to make a connection between uh, Eastern uh, Indian psychology and integral psychology with Western psychology of the time. So that's really the, the root of it, um, his work. But uh, when Chaudhuri came to the United States, like I said, um, his uh, focus was actually on integral education. You know, 
he didn't really develop a lot of philosophies around that. He was busy doing it. Uh, he's written two or three small papers, actually, as uh, reflections on, on what integral education is. So he was a philosopher doing education, and, and his uh, work in the 1950s and 60s was primarily a reflection of that. However, as I mentioned, he was interested all of a sudden in integral psychology because of uh, the insight that he uh, shared and because of the work that Paul Herman started uh, along with Fern Haddock and some others, they started this integral counseling psychology program. Uh, the vision from the very beginning uh, was inspired by an Eastern or East-West psychology, but that program, because of the requirements for a counseling psychology program from the from the beginning, was um, um, you know very limited in what it could offer. So there's always been some limitation, or at least there was in the beginning, in terms of uh, how you can fit um, different Eastern teachings and Western psychologies in one curriculum. And that's always been a challenge. For, maybe not in these days, but. I think it's still there. I think that the uh, the program really focuses on license licensure. Yeah, and we we so what happens is the students in ICP or in the other counseling programs will often come to a program like East West Psychology in order to in order to get that information, or they'll come into the program after they complete the MA in counseling psychology. And while they're gathering their hours, their clinical hours, they'll do an MA or a PhD in East-West for as to kind of develop a modality of spiritual, well, they do spiritual counseling or just kind of broaden their appreciation of Eastern spirituality. That's true. Yeah, it was easier in, in, in the earlier decades because they could have taken like up to two electives and they would normally take it from East-West psychology or philosophy and religion, you know, programs. But, um, you know, BBC requirements over time became so loaded that they hardly had any more room, you know, for that. So it became tighter and tighter. But the challenge from the very beginning was um, how to fit it into a definition of psychology that would pass for uh, the process of getting accredited, you know. Now, in the early days, between 1975 and 1980, which is the first few years of the program, East-West psychology basically was developed in order to deal with that problem. There were no more limitations like that. It was more like a philosophical approach to psychology. So you had uh, Hillary Anderson and a few other people, you know, teaching courses that are basically a lot of Indian psychology, a lot of yoga psychology, and um, some various things. Western, Jung was was part of it, and so on. But, um, you know, what happened was in 1980, because they wanted to get accredited, uh, there was an internal push at, at the institute by some of the people at the time, Dean at, at the time, to actually organize a program of East-West psychology in a way that um, fits the APA criteria for for psychology programs. Now, the ICP or Integral Counseling Psychology Program has always had to live up to BBC. BBS requirements, I'm sorry, BBS requirements, Board of Behavioral Sciences requirements. So that's that's been always there. 
the East West Psychology Program maybe was free in that sense in the first few years. And then in 1980, and that was just just before I came to the program, because I remember we had to take, you know, there were groupings of courses in biological and uh, research and uh, developmental psychology. And so we had all these different groupings like APA would, would have liked. And then there was this, I guess it was mind-body disciplines or something, or Eastern psychospiritual practices. I mean, there are different names at different times. So that was all you could take. So it was basically, like it wasn't really that difficult for me to come into a program like that with my background in Western psychology. And so it wasn't really, you had to kind of creatively create your own, you know, uh, Eastern side of it, you know, and take advantage of the resources of the Institute. And more often would boil down to the dissertation you wrote, not so much the courses that you took, you know. Um, now, by I would say and for another decade, that was the limitation that we had. Like the AP, We were not going to be an APA-accredited program in East-West Psychology. That, that wasn't a requirement. But any WASC visitor who came to look at the psychology programs would be looking for these kinds of courses. So I, I remember in, in the uh, early 90s, I think it was, um, some people decided that, uh, look, you know, WASP doesn't tell us what to do. We tell them what we want to do, and they see if they if we're doing it well or we're doing it right or whatever. So let's just throw away all this stuff uh, about APA and just create a humanistic transpersonal uh, program. And they did. You know, Larry Spiro was, was involved at, at that time. And... Um, but then, you know, the first WASC visit we had after that, they started to question, you know, say, what is this? This is a philosophy program. Is it a psychology program? And, you know, especially because we also had the PCC program, Philosophy, Cosmology, Consciousness, started right then. Um, this must have been around 96. Uh, so they were saying, like, what is what? You know, so that challenge, I think, has, has always been there. But, you know, you know, probably better, much better than I do right now. But I think it's always been, uh, uh, you know, a, a matter of also resources and the faculty and how much can you offer and how broadly can you define the East and, you know, so on. So, but, but I think, you know, you're right, you know, in that the core of it has to do with the connection between Eastern psychologies and Western psychologies, you know, if you actually um, can maybe uh, say that's always been there, probably um, that's the essence of it. That's the, the deeper, that's the inner being of East-West psychology. The outer being has been, has changed always. The surface course offerings and you know, specialization structures and all of that has, has changed often. So, I guess in some ways it's comforting maybe to know that the same problems that I don't. I don't want to say plague the department, but they're still present in the department, and it's a, a problem of, of definition. And the, the you know East West, we kind of view ourselves as a hub, where many different traditions and ideas kind of come in, and it's the it's the confluence or the concert of all of those different voices that defines the department. So I think you're right that it it kind of the surface of it really kind of shifts and changes shape. Uh, we're doing much more kind of north-south access these days. There's a, a lot of kind of uh, 
discussion or um, conversation between kind of postmodern, post um, uh, post-colonial, and uh, which what Debashish is bringing to the department a kind of a future human or um, uh, global post-human. Thank you. Post, yeah, kind of a global look and also uh, more indigenous and um, shamanic wisdom traditions, earth-based wisdom traditions. So they're really prominent in the department right now, although Debashish holds that Eastern pole really powerfully in the department. So that's present as well. Yes, I, I think there has been a lot of pressure to become more of a pluralistic you know, type of you know, program. And, uh, but, you know, what I can tell you something more of a personal experience is that, you know, for years, you know, in the beginning, I did work in the program and I used to talk to students that were close to coming to the program and they wanted to ask more questions and so on. So typical thing I would do is uh, I would basically talk about what is, you know, the essence of East-West psychology in some way to different, you know, student, prospective students. And uh, basic response that we get from most of the students, actually most of them ended up coming to the program later, would, would be saying, this is exactly what I'm thinking, but I, I couldn't put it together like that. Like, you know, it was an intuition, it was an instinct that all the students have always had, you know, about this connection between psychology and spirituality. So, you know, the same instinct <laughs> that I think Hariros Chaudhary, or insight, I, I would say, because it wasn't unconscious, it's the same in, in, insight really holds true. It's, it's such a universal issue. And I think it's a core issue in, in integral psychology today. You know, the question is, what is the role of our personality in the process of spiritual development, you know, and, and because personality is a formation and has limitations and it has certain colors and and uh, certain uh, uh, ways that it is. And, and, then, and if this is a lens onto reality, then what does that mean? You know, so I think it's, it's a very natural question. Um, but one thing that was interesting about Chaudhary's approach to psychology, you know, he got so interested in integral psychology, actually, that he started to actually write, you know, of course, that paper that I mentioned to you was something that he never finished. It was uh, only later published um, in a brief form in one of the books, uh, posthumously, you know, published books as a chapter on, on psychology. But, um, you know, he was teaching uh, also himself these courses, you know, several courses for about a few years during the last few years of his life in, in the 70s, I would say in 70 to 75. He was really excited about this discovery of the connection between psychology and, and, and spirituality. He also had a very uh, integral approach to psychology at the time. There's a, uh, a paper that he, he uh, uh, it, it is published but during the formation years of um, transpersonal psychology, you know, the early years in the late 60s and you know, early 70s, if you look at some of the catalogs and, um, of the movement, you would see, you know, uh, emphasis on ultimate states. And he had seen this um, transcendence, ultimate states, and he was all alarmed about that. He wrote a paper basically saying, no, you don't want to go in that direction because this is exactly another way that 
those dualisms creep in again, you know, ultimate versus relative and this versus that. It's a beautiful paper if you ever get, get a chance to read it. Uh, it's titled Psychology um, Humanistic or Transpersonal. It wasn't accepted by Journal of uh, Transpersonal Psychology, but it was accepted by Humanistic Psychology Journal. Um, but, it, it, you know, he was showing insights, not only in, in that paper, but in his other work, that later became, became crucial to the developments that we see today. For example, John Wilwood started in 1984, so this idea of spiritual bypassing, I, I think that, you know, he was quite familiar with, with Chaudhary, but, um, you know, it was only, you know, years later where the transpersonal movement started to really look at uh, some of the issues, you know, that were core to to uh, uh, integral psychology. And if you look at Glenn Hartilis's work with Mariana Kaplan in the last couple of papers that they did together, it's all coming together now, according to them, which I, which I agree with. Now, transpersonal movement is, you know, it's taken on a holistic sort of um, step, uh, you know, and they're going for issues like wholeness and transformation, you know, which was the very beginning. Transcendence is no longer the goal and, and uh, altered states is not adequate enough. And so transformation was very core from the beginning. When I picked up Chaudhary's work, I, I realized that uh, what he's talking about is is basically, you know, a Western way of talking about in integral psychology. I've often thought of it as a, uh, a, a like a funnel, you know, at the back of the funnel, at the uh, narrow end of it, there is definitely Shura Mindo's integral yoga and integral psychology. But on the, on the wide end of it, um, he has conversations going on with uh, Western mysticism, with Jungian psychology, with many, many schools of psychology, and he uses a terminology that is basically Western. Uh, if you look at his formulation of, uh, of, in, of integral psychology, you hardly see any more than just a couple, two or three really Sanskrit words, you know. So he has a way of uh, connecting. He, this was his genius. He knew how to connect with Western audiences from, from the very beginning. He was really good at that. So uh, he never wanted to create a cult of Shurabindo or just uh, teach. But if anybody was interested in getting closer, you would definitely see that's where he comes from, you know. Um, my work was basically something that, uh, my dissertation was something that came out of the blue. I, I really, I, I can't even say how it came about because... As I mentioned to you, Bina gave me this paper, and I just come up with a with an idea, which was almost like without thought, you know, without thinking that much. Which wasn't my. I was often very slow, took years <laughs> to develop ideas, you know, and never jump on something. But you know, this just came to me, and I called it self in integral psychology. And the bottom line of it, since Jonathan asked uh, what what it was about, is basically, you know, I looked at a number of Eastern and Western psychological systems. And I looked at the question of ego and self and, and try to see what's going on. And I saw that ego 
and self are are usually talked about at three different levels and and these i at the time i called them egocentric psychocentric and cosmocentric and so my dissertation was really without really knowing that much about the work of shiro window at, at that time i mean i did know some things but i didn't really know for example about the psychic being you know the soul and its role in transformation of consciousness at that time but i had come to this conclusion that western transpersonal psychology is not really paying attention to um the psychocentric except for jung and sagioli of course you know uh, you know they were talking about the cosmocentric you know the sort of atman brahman you know that the ultimate you know all of that was was very strong often you know but even today i don't know how many systems really deal with the soul outside of jung and sagioli but um you know that's something that to me um seemed like a missing piece so i call it psychocentric consciousness and soul based consciousness so um you know that had a lot of limitations when i look at it today you know i i, I don't necessarily want to go back to it too much but but what i found in chaudhary was his articulation of what he called the triadic principle of in, of integral psychology and um this was something that again was his own form you know formulation but sherobindo has this basic teaching about the three poises of brahman or, or the three modes of being which are um, individual universal and transcendent and he took chaudhary took these and gave them a different uh, terminology called it uniqueness relatedness and transcendence principles and he argued that you have to have all three balanced out in your approach to to healthy spiritual development so you know uniqueness had to be preserved it was very important and ultimately comes down to the uniqueness at the level of the soul and then relatedness is the more like interpersonal uh level and then it extends onto the world and, and everything and and then there's transcendent you know so there was a lot of emphasis on the transcendent in early transpersonal psychology and therefore the question of spiritual bypassing comes up which um John Willwood started that conversation and it started to become a major conversation within within you know so how do you not bypass you know by going through the psychocentric level by involving the psychocentric level you need to have the soul as an intermediate step uh for the process of not only transformation of the outer being but also as a connection point for the highest levels of consciousness to to connect with so so anyway you know i think you know chaudhary's idea of this triadic principle was really important i've used it in so many ways in different classes you know has a lot of practical implications i've asked often students to explore the the individual dimension you know and their interpersonal dimension and, and the transcendent dimensions and look at you know weaknesses and and i've even seen that there's a tendency toward certain clinical uh issues when you're lacking you know in along certain dimensions like if you focus on uniqueness but in the wrong way you get narcissism if you focus on relatedness but in the wrong way you get issues of enmeshment and and borderline you know personality issues and codependencies and if you get too much into the 
transcendent level without developing the other two, then you you know develop special bypassing and even some schizoid tendencies. So, you know, these are the problems that come up, you know, when you're doing yoga, if your psychology is not in order. So I think today there's a general understanding in, in, in integral and transpersonal psychology that the first order of work should be um, psychological if one needs that. Uh, but of course, it's the psychological work that's illumined uh, is in the context of a spiritual uh, context. But, um, you know, without a healthy foundation, um, jumping into the spiritual uh, or the transcendent causes probably more problems such as spiritual emergence, emergencies and, and issues that come up with that. Yeah, I think that we, you know, this is one of the um, themes, I guess, in the program. We look at the uh, the ideal of the scholar-practitioner, and that's a discussion that comes up in, in one way or another in, in most of our classes. Uh, Devashish is teaching a class right now called Knowledge Work in the Modern Academy, and I was asked to give uh, the last kind of lecture on uh, academic writing from the perspective of the scholar practitioner ideal and i i used one of your papers in the in the presentation the integral epistemology and integral methodology paper that you wrote which i think that goes over a, a, a bit of what you were talking about today a really i think fascinating way of attempting to weave in sri aurobindo's epistemology and even a bit of his ontology into the 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 the, uh, the work of uh, academia and how do you bridge these two, which I think is always a challenge. Um, it's an it's an open question uh, in the program. I think you know one of the most important things, um, and and it could be an issue from the very beginning is is that integral has often been interpreted as something that's all embracing, you know, and uh, and it's it's true maybe in some sense because. An integrated consciousness embraces all aspects of personality, but it's not about all things under the sun, you know, or all things in the world, because so many things are not relevant to this process. So it's it's really it's a really a fine uh, line in terms of what is the process of in, um, personal in, personal in, integration. You know, what exactly is that work? And, and I think that still needs a lot of development and a lot of focus. I think integral yoga um, allows for unique development of each individual and does not have many guidelines along these lines. So, but there's still something that needs to happen for that, for that process to be, to be done, you know, properly. So, so I think, you know, I, I still think very strongly that the role of the soul uh, is is really important in here. You know, there are rumors that Asajoli met Shurabindo or went to Pondicherry in the 1930s. I, I still have to verify that. I've heard it from many people. Um, and also, Jung had certain experiences that put him over South India. You know, uh, in his uh, in his uh, consciousness, and there was a connection somehow during the 1930s. You know, there were uh, these three different systems, Asagioli, Psychosynthesis, Jung's work, 
And there was also interval psychology uh, in the earlier stages that, you know, at least the essence of it, uh, was basically coming to uh, focus on the idea of the soul as the center of personal consciousness, as the deeper individual consciousness, and, and its role for the transformation of the outer being or out, outer personality. I think that work is still and will be perpetually the, the core of integral work. You know, how, how do we get the diverse aspects of the surface personality uh, integrated? How, how do we get different, uh, even sub-personalities or different ego systems or different personality patchwork that is part of each of us. Shirobindo has written about that a lot. Um, and how do we get that to uh, coordinate and, and, and work together? And apparently the only agency that can do that, this was Jung's conclusion, as far as I, I know, that he had concluded that the, the work of integration has to happen with the soul, you know, that, that the surface personality cannot do that. So I think that's really still core, you know, but Chaudhary, you know, would give talks about uh, the soul, but he wouldn't necessarily always bring it in and, and you know, talk about it. His, his system was about this triadic, you know, approach. And then, you know, he had also some a dozen principles that if you look at it today, they're all very intuitive. But, you know, it was somewhat radical at the time that he, he was proposing. And so, you know, anything I've written on Chaudhary, I've tried to include that because, you know, he has these principles that are, commonly accepted many of them today in transpersonal psychology or, or humanistic psychology and of course integral psychology so you know his uh, his approach was a, a simplified approach but if he did follow through with with his work he would he would land in that soul space eventually oh, this this has been fantastic thanks so much Bauman. um it's it's amazing because i have a whole list of questions and you just sort of have gone through them so intuitively. Um, and it's a good thing because we have uh, basically come to the end of our time together. Um, I wanted to bring attention to the the new book that was uh, edited by Debashish called Integral Yoga Psychology. And you have an article in that um, uh, in which some of these concepts, which most of these concepts you, uh, you touch upon, the article's called Haridash's Chowdhury's contributions to integral psychology. And also, um, as you were describing the egocentric, psychocentric, cosmocentric, there's a great article by Elizabeth Teklinski who develops these ideas as well. Um, so I just wanted to bring um, bring attention to this, this these articles in this great book um, to our listeners. Um, to maybe to end. Is there anything uh, that you'd like to talk about um, in terms of where you are, how and what you are working on today? I know we, uh, in the pre-interview talk, we mentioned you're, you're part of the editorial board of the Sri Aurobindo Association of America. Um, and if there is any other um, current work that you're, you're doing you wanted to mention um, or any other publications that you could um, direct our listeners towards, um, that would be that would be great. Well, um I have I have not been doing a lot of writing. I I have done some interviews and uh, I'm working on a paper with someone right now. But they're in a uh, preliminary stage, and and, uh, and I think you know I'd rather just wait for them to you know to be published. Yeah, I'm working with the uh, the new editorial board of uh, 
of you know, Collaboration Magazine. And uh, I decided basically to uh, free up a lot of my time and focus on, I guess, integral yoga. I, I don't know, you know if I can say this is what I'm doing, X, Y, and Z, but I always wanted to um, kind of free up more on the academic side so I can focus more on my own, <laughs> I would say, you know, ongoing challenges with, with, with integral yoga. So I have some conversations with some of the groups and uh, um, I do some work along those lines, but I'm, I'm not at the moment, uh, you know, taking new dissertation students where I'm not doing any classes and at least wanted to make maybe open up some space and to see what the calling is while I still have some some energy. So I, I guess I would say I'm figuring it out, uh, Jonathan. I, I'm not uh, I'm not sure if I can say definitely what I'm doing, but I'm also taking care of my mother. So a lot of my energy goes into that. She's in her 90s and uh, I've moved out to the East Coast just, just for that purpose. So, um, but life is good and I'd like to continue this work. It never ends. So, uh, Thank you so much. If uh, you know, I'm always happy to go over some of these other things uh, or answer more questions if there's future times and future opportunity. I think that there's a, a lot more that could be said. I, I would love it to, if we could have another conversation. That would be great. That would be nice.
Thank you. 